welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I'm Beth Baker, and I'm here. We're back with Leslie Berger, Dr. Leslie Berger, my friend colleague um, in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture here at Mississippi State. And uh, she is an assistant extension professor, just like myself. Um, so we had her on the show last time when we were talking youth conservation education, and we're switching gears today, not too differently, but we're getting into extension and adult education and even a little bit of citizen engagement because they all kind of roll together. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's talk a little bit about what extension is because that's, as we get into it, and and I can say from experience, um, because my undergraduate wasn't at a land-grant university, and so unless you're at a land-grant university that doesn't, that, that has an extension service, you typically aren't familiar with what it is right. or what it does. Um, so give us a little background about how you got into extension, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about, you know, what extension is and what it what it does. Right. Well, I can tell you, having gone to uh, Land Grant University for my master's degree, I still didn't come up with an understanding of what extension <laughs> was, because you're just a student, and you're just, you know, you're just doing student stuff. So um, I've been with the Mississippi State Extension Service for, I guess, 11 years now. I started in 2008, and um, I was hired to work with youth, mm-hmm. uh, and the role was uh, what they were looking for. Actually, kind of defines extension. They were looking for someone who had a background in wildlife science because this person was going to be working in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture. But they also wanted someone who had experience with education, and uh, particularly with what is is known as uh, informal education. So it's that kind of learning that happens outside of a traditional classroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my past experience as, uh, as a biologist working for a state agency, um, as I mentioned, a, a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in wildlife, um, plus um, probably 15 years, 10 to 15 years of experience in informal education, working largely through 4-H and with youth, um, had given me that, that set of skills to work in an extension environment. And so what extension is... is um, is about is taking science-based information from the experts, quote-unquote experts, that are come at, affiliated with universities and getting it to the, the average citizen mm-hmm. in a way that can better their lives and improve their lives. And it, it all was born um, out of sort of Dust Bowl days when um, you know agricultural producers were struggling as a result of the Dust Bowl, um, post-depression times when people were just were just trying to feed their families, um, and so two big areas, I guess, largely centered in agriculture, were kind of the focus initially of extension, and that was um, agricultural producers. How can we produce the food that we need in a, in a sustainable fashion so it doesn't blow away? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how do we feed our families? How do we preserve food, um, you homemakers, to uh, feed your family? How do you sew clothing because you're just, you can't afford to go to the store and buy new clothing? And so those kinds of problem-solving um, activities, what 
was what Extension was about. We're going to take this information at the university and get it to these, these users and teach them how to better their lives. And over time, that has grown to include more than just agriculture producing and, you know, and canning and sewing, and includes everything from community development, uh, emergency preparedness, um, budgeting, uh, food safety, um, other human health issues, to, to conservation, like we're talking about today. Um, so that is kind of the, the, the bigger picture of extension, and I just have this little window kind of in the, the wildlife um, ecosystem sort of conservation window in this larger piece of, of extension. That was a, a phenomenal summary of all of the things extension typically is now at many of the land-grant universities around the country. So if you're listening and you're in a state that has a land-grant university, which is most of them, mm-hmm. um, it has an extension service. And this is, you know, this arm of the university that provides education and educational materials and programs to the general public on all of these different things that most people don't even know mm-hmm. is a resource to them. Right. Um, and the benefit, because, of course, with the Internet, we have access to all kinds of resources, is that it's coming out of the university and it is based on research. So you you know you're getting really sound information um, for whatever, whatever it is you may be looking I, for. Um, with all the misinformation out there, it's just so important <laughs> to know when you're getting good information, sure. especially when it relates to your livelihood or an economic endeavor mm-hmm. you're taking on or, or, or something um, to better your lives your life so um thank you for that summary of it um and it you know it is a kind of a a great uh, a great mission to work f- mm-hmm. for you know when you're just serving others in the community to better their lives right. i can get behind that <laughs> right right it's interesting um when you you talk to the extension people and not everybody follows this but but overwhelmingly that is their motivation, is mm-hmm. to be able to help people and be able to take the expertise that they have and be able to better somebody's life somewhere or somehow. And that's just a fun, uh, to me, that's just a fun place to work. Absolutely. I, I'm still now, you know, I, I have a job, but if you ask me what I want to be when I grow up, I'd still <laughs> probably say I don't know. But from as, as long as I can remember, you know, when, some, when people would ask me what I like to do, I'd be mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I just like to help people. Right. So here I am in extension, <laughs> and I'm like, this is a good fit. This right. is a good fit for me. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, now you've had uh, a number of years working in extension now, um, and we're kind of experiencing this shift in program delivery in, memory, in many ways, uh, especially with this change in technology and mm-hmm. the way we deliver information to people. What are some of the challenges, though, related to developing educational material and delivering it to stakeholders, especially adult stakeholders? Mm-hmm. We talked about youth education. We know using technology is, is where we want to go with them because all of our children are using right. that <laughs> kind of technology. But it's a little different with stakeholders sure. because the age range is so diverse and the use of technology is right. so diverse. Right. Um, so what are some of these challenges related to developing educational materials that really reach the stakeholders we want them to. Right, yeah, we can develop materials all day long, but if it sits on the shelf, what good is it? Sometimes it sits on the shelf. Sometimes it does. Right, and so that is the challenge, um, because there's still, um, you know, a a strong um, set of people who are extension clients who are what we might 
say quote unquote are old school. I mean, these are the um, the older generation that no extension as being a reliable source of information, and they still would really prefer you came out to their property and and looked at their problem or gave them face to face advice. And uh, they're not so internet savvy, nor do they want to be. Uh, and so you can't rely on the internet for those folks because. They're not going to look. And most of these folks are in rural areas. And, I, and I'm just going to jump in because I saw mm-hmm. someone someone in New York posting on Instagram a cafe that had free Wi-Fi. And she's like, well, we're in America. Everywhere has free Wi-Fi. And folks, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, we don't in rural areas <laughs> right. in America. So just right. there's plenty of places still in the United States that don't have internet connection to have access to resources. So um, that's one barrier that that I think maybe the general population isn't aware of the limitations still in some of these rural areas. Right. Well, I live outside of Starkville, but only a few miles. And I don't have, I don't have land-based, I mean, I don't have fiber-based internet. Mm -hmm. I have to have a a mobile kind of Wi-Fi hotspot to be able to get to my internet. And that works well sometimes, but I'm not really watching any movies because... Streaming. It, yeah, I'm not streaming Video anything. Ga- gaming. <laughs> I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm checking my email. And I'm outside of Starkville, so not hating on Starkville. It's just that you're right. So we, we make these assumptions, and we talked about this the last show, we make this assumption that this is going to work without knowing our audience or thinking mm-hmm. about who our audience is. So it's not only... So how are they going to get it? Are they, do they prefer to have you call them, talk to them, um, have printed materials, um, or do you need to do it on an internet-based thing? Because that's where they're going to go. And sometimes that means the answer is yes. <coughs> you know, you do the same content. Um, the content's valid. It's the delivery that's different. Mm-hmm. And so if you have, let's say you're talking to um, agricultural producers, you're going to have those those older folks who aren't going to go to the internet, and so you produce those materials for them on a paper version, but you also have that available um, in a format that's accessible and attractive and appealing to the the 30-year-old agricultural producer who's way into technology and is going to use that. So you just you just need to be more intentional, I guess. In the, in the past, it was easier. You just did a one thing because one size fit all, and now it doesn't. And so when we do these programs, we have to think about how are they going to get to it, who is our, who is our user, and what do they need. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and what do they need to know? I mean, so sometimes they there's want to know, and then there's need to know. And sometimes right. you have to slip need to know into the want to know. Uh, it's kind of like when your kids are. You know, you don't always give them what they want because it's not what they always need. Um, but sometimes you can hide the need in the want. And uh, I think that works in extension, too. <laughs> My mom always separated those two for me. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes we have to hide it. <laughs> right, because they don't know. I mean, they might think that they know what they want from you, but it may not be what's best for them or it may be inaccurate. And uh, but you can you know what they want, mm-hmm. and so when they come to you for something they want, you give them that. But you also hopefully can give them that what they need to know as well. And hopefully that's that science-based information that right. will change their lives or solve their problem or whatever is that they're coming to you in the first place for. Meeting that diversity then of of the ways different stakeholders n- kind of need to have this information developed for them, and I won't play my sad violin too long, mm-hmm. but it does make our jobs a little bit more difficult because for a traditional in-classroom professor, you're showing up at class, you're delivering your material, your students are coming to a lab, where then when we're trying to deliver this this material to 
different stakeholders that need it in all these different forms. It's like we're running social media accounts. We're doing podcasts. Here we are. <laughs> you know, we're on the Internet. Right. But we're still going to their farms. And so it's just a it's a totally different ball game. It is. Um, it is. And especially, in, you know, in the face of shrinking budgets, you mm-hmm. know, you have to get more creative because you can't afford to go to everybody's farm. Even if you might want to go, you don't have the time, you don't have the finances, or you not the vehicle. So um, how can we be the most effective that we and, and still get do what we need to do. Right, right, and get this information out there, mm-hmm. right, with some cost efficiency. Correct. Um, so this next this next question um, kind of leads us in, and it, c- it connects back to when we we're talking about youth education, but I, I have a feeling we could talk about this next question for a long time. Um, how do adult learning approaches differ from youth educational <laughs> approaches? Or maybe the question is, how do they differ from the way we've been teaching really for the, you know the last couple of decades with PowerPoint delivery right. of information. Yeah. The, I used to think those were different, and this may sound... Um, you mean ad- adult and Adult and youth? youth. No. Okay. Yeah, I used I'm to think that you. those were different uh, approaches, but what I'm... F- and I would approach it that way. And so I would do, like, the PowerPoint for the adults, and I would do something really cool and hands-on for the kids because that's fun. And, and then I would see these glazed over faces uh, of my adults, and I thought, I'm doing this wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, or when I say adults, but I mean, it could also be students in the classroom. They are adults. Right. And um, sleeping. They're either. sleeping. They're on their phone. <laughs> yes. So, how, I, I, without insulting anybody, I think that the approaches are similar. Right. You find out where they are in their understanding, and think about where you want to move them. And what is the most effective way to do that? And while it might be the easiest for you to stand up there and talk at them for 40 minutes, they've stopped listening to you 10 minutes into it. Mm-hmm. You've lost them. So you're just wasting your time anyway. So I try in all cases, I think that we need to make it relevant. We need to connect it to what they already know. We need to connect it to what they need to know. We need to use a variety of approaches and, and keep it moving. So we talk to them for 10, 15 minutes, and then we move. We do something. We have discussion. We get up and we go look at a demonstration. Then we come back down, we sit down, and we reflect on what it was that we just mm-hmm. saw and how does that connect to what your problems are. Get some feedback. And I think that that dialogue um, and that interchange and that variety uh, helps with retention. And as an educator... It's not just, education should be impacting people. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be just this thing that flows over them and I check the box and say, there, I've educated you. And, and they're no different. I should increase their knowledge. I should change their behavior. I should improve an attitude. There ought to be something like that. And it's not going to happen if I stand there and pummel them with information for 40 minutes. So whether it's an adult or a kid, uh, I, th- I think it's not the same. The The level, the depth that I might use mm-hmm. is going to vary um, from adults to kids, I hope. Right. You know, because my adults are, are should be older and should be better educated. Um, but in some cases, it's not. And not to be hating on the adults, is sometimes the content is brand new to them. Right. So then there's really no difference at all. But if I have an audience that's educated, then I, my level where I start is different. But my delivery has gotten to where they are all about the same. Yeah, and that creating that experience that they connect with, that they can fit with what they already know, mm-hmm. and keep keep it there in, in inform it into their brain and their thought process um, is ultimately like you said what we want to do 
um, but it does make the assessment harder, which is probably why it's not used in our youth classrooms as much anymore. It's harder to assess um, learning over the long term, behavioral mm-hmm. change over the long term, than memorization, and then you take a test. Sure. And you regurgitate that information. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've done that for a lot of my educational career because that's been the, the approach when I was right. an undergrad. Um, so, I don't know, maybe for me it even becomes then more important to provide these experiences that are so much more impactful than a memorization, which is sometimes important in, mm-hmm. in learning certain aspects right. of the information. It's not that it doesn't have a place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, y- you hit on exactly what I wanted you to in terms of m- most of the time we're training adult learners, whether it's students or these non-formal groups, um, with a talking-to-you approach. And that's not always the most effective. Right. I had a, I did a workshop one time and I was talking about the components of habitat. And I do this with kids too, but I was doing it with adult, uh, adults. I'll just leave it going back as adults. And uh, as part of this lesson, this exercise, I use poker chips because they are different colors. And so they're green poker chips and blue ones. And so green is food and blue is water. And uh, there's white ones and red ones, and they can represent space and shelter. And so then we play a game. We throw the poker chips out there, and people have to a limited amount of time to pick up these poker chips. And if they don't have enough poker chips of each color, they die. You know, and that's because the habitat didn't meet their needs, and so they die. And it was two years later I was at some uh, event, and one of those uh, young men that I taught in that class came up to me, and he said, I can tell you the four components of habitat and he listed them all off and you know it was a silly thing (laughs) but he remembered because (coughs) I had these adults play this game with poker chips uh, you know on the floor Mm -hmm. and he remembered and that is what education is about. And I'm thinking that they actually make those poker chips like the perfect size to want to hold in your hand they with do. the perfect material to want to hold in your they hand do. as well. So that is kind of, you right. know, I don't, I, I'm not a gambler, right. but I can, I can <laughs> feel a poker <laughs> chip in my hand right now. Yes, kids yeah. will steal them yes. because they like them. So yeah. I had to buy new I ones periodically. I might use that technique <laughs> there to you teach go. water. <laughs> yes. Feel free to borrow it. Oh, um, we've touched on this a little bit, but, you know, with the vast amount of misinformation out there, how, how even more critical does this extension work become um, in ensuring that our local stakeholders have access to this research-based information? Yeah. I, mean, I think that's the million-dollar question. I don't, and I don't really have a good answer. I guess that's why I'm not the director of extension. Right. Um, because information is everywhere. Uh, I think in part it's going to get back to relationships um, as, let's say, you're working with a landowner and they recognize the value that you, Beth Baker, have. You really are representing the larger extension organization. So if their their friend has a problem and, and it may not even be related to the kinds of things that you work in, you know, they might say, well, I know Dr. Baker gave me this good advice. You know, she might be able to find somebody at the university to help you. But... Um, yeah, I don't know how, you know, if it was my job to figure out how to sell extension as a source of reliable information in this sea of noise that's out there, 
I don't know what the solution would be other than I feel like there's still this driving need for relationships in our culture and you can look at social media that's that's about relationships and so I think what extension does have going for it that um, that a nameless website doesn't have is that ability to make those connections those personal relationships and I think that's going to be the saving grace I think we're gonna have to be smarter as an organization to figure out how to, to capitalize on that need for relationships and be make those connections. But um, that's a hard question. Yeah, yeah, I agree that it's definitely the relationships and, and uh, alongside that too, I've, I've noticed um, good participation when I'm leading educational events, when I talk about and just discuss with the participants some more, um, I don't want to use the word provocative, but kind of two-sided issues Mm -hmm. so that we just talk through critical thinking Mm -hmm. on both sides. Right. Because then you start to then diffuse really polarizing, um, really polarizing topics. And in in doing so also teach critical thinking about two sides of the issues. People don't just find a certain fact on the Internet and say... Well, this is how it is. Right. We have one, and we have one source. Right. And there's usually, you know, multiple, sure. multiple sources of information from different angles mm-hmm. around a single topic. Um, right. Yeah. So, uh, as extension professionals, and we continue forward, you know, how do you think? And I think you've already answered it with your connection, but in terms of having impact, just to wrap us up today, impact with our stakeholders. What do you think are some of those main strategies? You know, if it's like a one, two, three kind of simple things any extension, any extension professional can do to keep that impact. Right. I think we're going to have to be relevant, mm-hmm. which means staying on top of what um, people need and what they want. Right. Back what we were talking about before, it has to be more than just the want because sometimes they don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think being relevant and helping meet those needs that people um, will keep us at the forefront uh, I think we need to be um, sensitive to the diversity of our stakeholders and make sure we're not leaving people out um, of the of those discussions mm-hmm. and be able to, whether we're leaving them out because we don't uh, understand what they need or we're leaving them out because we're not getting the information to them in a way that they can actually access. So I think those those would be some real key issues to keep extension relevant in, in this, this day and age. Mm-hmm. The model that we've done in the past is not going to work. We can't give it up quite yet, but we're going to have to move into something. But as I said before, I think this idea of relationships is going to be one of the things that's different for extension than than a website that doesn't right. have any personality. Right, or certain merchandise. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think for most of us that work for extension, that's one of our favorite parts is just connecting with, with mm-hmm. folks. Um, and so thank you. Great information for everyone. Thanks for taking time to come on the show. Um, I have a feeling we'll have you back in the future when season two drops. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to come. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.